Welcome to the Digital From Day One podcast. Our aim is to build a bridge by creating content that will pique interest, spark conversations, and encourage further innovations that will ultimately build a more informed and prepared pipeline of learners headed for the 21st century workforce. Hi, my name is Brendan Dickerson, and joining me as always is Joelle Nelson. Today, you'll be listening to a discussion with Kyle Strickland, who's a senior legal analyst at the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity at the Ohio State University. How are you doing today? Good. I'm. I'm excited. I'm. 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 Uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, I think the 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 pandemic times we're in. Uh, sometimes uh, days are worse than others. Uh, but I, I'm feeling pretty good and uh, just excited to be here uh, to have this conversation. Great. And one of the cool things, you know, that uh, we love bringing on guests and learning you know, a little bit about their, you know, their work history and kind of, you know, where they've. Um, their journey as well. And, you know, from my understanding, you know, with the work that you do, you know, folks a lot on the local and national civil rights issues, uh, criminal justice reform, fair housing policy, and also, you know, equitable, equitable access to education. <clears throat> Another thing um, that our listeners may not know is that you have a, a JD um, from Harvard Law School and you was a previous student body president as well too. So can you elaborate on, you know, your, uh, your journey through, um, Harvard Law School, I guess maybe even starting at um, Ohio State where you received your uh, BA in political science. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one, uh, I wouldn't have made it uh, to Harvard had I not uh, made it through Ohio State. And and I think, um, you know, so I grew up in central Ohio, uh, just right here in Columbus, a little closer to, to Worthington area, went to Ohio State uh, for undergrad. Um, and, you know, it was really interesting, you know, to me, to have the experiences that I had at Ohio State, um, I didn't realize uh, exactly what it is that I wanted to do as a career. I knew I was interested in issues around education. I knew I was interested in issues on, on advocacy more broadly, especially as it relates to civic engagement. You know, growing up in Ohio, uh, being a swing state, uh, always a lot of political interest and political focus uh, here in Ohio. Uh, but really, for me, it's how do we connect policy with people's everyday lives and in the most tangible piece for me was education. Uh, but really, I wanted to figure out how do I be an advocate? Um, and, you know, being at Ohio State, I was able to recognize uh, the disparities um, based on zip code and understanding that uh, your life outcomes are so determinative on where you grow up. And, mm -hmm. and in order to level the playing field, we've got to address the structures, address the policies that make that possible, especially when it comes to our education, but also workforce and all sorts of issues. So I want to be an advocate. And that's ultimately why I chose to, to go to law school. And um, uh, never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined uh, to go to Harvard Law. And, but it was because I had teachers, I had family, I had community, I had an institution that invested in me. Um, and that, that saw potential in me when I didn't even realize uh, the potential that I had. And so that's, that, also under, uh, that also highlights the importance of mentorship, um, but more so than just mentorship, the actual investment in resources um, and institutions uh, to provide me with those opportunities. Because I know that uh, there were plenty of people smarter than me uh, and more qualified than me uh, but they just didn't get the same sort of opportunities that I was able to get uh, to get here. And so I uh, went to Harvard Law and had an incredible experience there. Uh, as you mentioned, served as, as student body president my final year there. 
Um, and, uh, you know, there's a couple of things. One, uh, uh, it is, uh, the academic, uh, it is very challenging. I mean, Harvard is very challenging, um, oh, with all sorts of, uh, uh, all sorts of, uh, legal advocates and scholars and, 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 and just even learning the language of these issues was, was intense, you know, going in, especially for me to go from, you know, public school my entire life to go into a, a place like Harvard was a, was an adjustment. Uh, but I was able to, to adjust pretty well. And, and it's because, uh, you know, a lot of my classmates and others, you know, they, they were invested in uh, what we can do to create equity, create justice. Um, and what that means is providing opportunities for people. And uh, for me, my experiences, not only academically, but, you know, I was able to connect with professors who, um, you know, taught uh, President Obama and Michelle Obama and, and others like like Professor Ogletree and uh, uh, former uh, Supreme Court justices. And I mean, it, it was an incredible experience to be there, to be immersed in that experience. Uh, but I always stayed grounded because I knew where home was. It was here, mm -hmm. back here in Columbus. Um, and so ultimately, that, that's where I decided to come back to. And uh, I started to work at the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity. And one of the main reasons I did that uh, was because during my time in law school was a lot of the issues around uh, what we're seeing today, uh, the killing of, of black men, uh, especially at the hands of police, but then even more broadly, uh, black women, uh, you, uh, trans, uh, all sorts of, of communities that have been marginalized and left behind and started to highlight the uh, issues of racial inequity and inequality in our country. Um, so I wanted to do something about it. I want to be a part of that that worked and, and Kerwin is focused on racial equity and addressing these issues and these disparities. And so I wanted to come back and be an advocate and do that through my work with Kerwin and, and through my work with, with my brother's keeper more broadly. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I want to, you know, back it up a little bit and talk a little bit more about um, your path. Right. So, you know, it's, um, it's unique in, in terms of, you know, where you came from and where you got to and who were the people as you were growing up that um, kind of in injected life into your pathway to say, yes, you can go and do this and have enough um, kind of uh, um, um, life in your, in your pathway to say, I can not only make it to and through in Ohio State, but I can go on to at Harvard Law and make it to and through there. Like, you know, parents, mentors, yep. never um, did that for you. To me, yeah, no, exactly. Um, and one of the things that I always will want to communicate and, and get across at any moment is that I would not be here uh, had it not been for all those who invested in me and supported me in my success. And, you know, one of the key, uh, you know, my parents obviously were, were critical and key. I mean, you know, it's interesting, you know, I grew up in, 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 in uh, went to Worthington City Schools, right? And uh, was predominantly white area where I grew up. Um, and it was a area where I never really felt like I fit in. Um, and, you know, not only that, you know, we were middle class, but, uh, my parents got divorced at a very young age and I was fortunate uh, to have a, a strong relationship with my dad and, and my mom. Uh, 
And um, it was really the story of, of their kind of investing in me and continuing to invest in me. And I learned even more about how good I actually had it when I didn't realize that I had it so well because I didn't really fit in uh, when I, I was going to school. But really, it goes back to their story and their past of, you know, my parents got met when they were a young age, at a young age, um, and uh, dropped out of college when they when they met at, at Oakwood College in Alabama. And um, they uh, got got married and were struggling to make ends meet as young uh, as a young married couple moved to central Ohio. My mom originally from, from Delaware, Ohio. My, my dad's from Palo Alto, uh, California, but they, they moved back uh, to central Ohio to be with my, my grandparents. But it was a time in which they couldn't really, they were struggling to make ends meet. I mean, uh, they're working at factory jobs, working at McDonald's, they, all this stuff getting laid off. And then it wasn't until my mom was able to find a route in the healthcare uh, sector, and my dad was able to get a job at Columbus State Community College doing some work, uh, some IT work, and, and helping them out. And he was able to get connected with that and then uh, be able to get an education where he was able to go and go on and get that associates and then uh, beyond. And it was them and that, that value of getting connected to those, which provided them just enough to be able to, to move. Um, you know, still within the city of Columbus, but to provide me with the opportunity to go uh, to Worthington uh, City Schools, the neighborhood, uh, the neighbor, uh, the community was kind of growing at the time. So they were able to make that, uh, but they were struggling to make ends meet, but they invested in me and, and really stressed the importance of education. Um, mm -hmm. And then not only that, uh, it was uh, my teachers. Uh, I mean, I, I think one of, one of my biggest uh, advocates was my English teacher. I remember one time it was my, my freshman year of high school. Uh, I wrote this paper. Uh, it was about, it was like a biography of Muhammad Ali. And I, I wrote, I wrote about Muhammad Ali and, uh, I turned the paper in here. I am thinking I did so great on this paper and she comes back to me and I had like a, a C minus or a D plus. It was a really bad, it was, it was just awful. And she said, what is this? And I said, what, well, I mean, this is, this is what I think I, I'm doing. I think, I think I'm, I thought I wrote a good paper. And she said, no, you, you know, your thoughts are all over the place. She said, look, we need to really get you focused on, on writing and focus on these issues and, and really become a better writer. And the way to do that is uh, you're going to every day, you're going to take the lunch that you're that you instead of your lunch period, you're going to come with me in my class and we're going to do this work every day. And we did that for months where I would come in and work on this. And uh, ultimately, uh, it was her focus on me that helped me become a better writer and laid the, the pathway for me to be able to, to go to Ohio State and Harvard. Uh, but one of the biggest pieces, the, the other person who, who really stood out um, was uh, one of my school counselors. Uh, uh, she, when I applied to schools, I figured maybe I wanted to go to Ohio State or, or, or Bowling Green or, or elsewhere. I wanted to go somewhere in Ohio. I initially got rejected from Ohio State. They, they deferred me, and then they, they rejected me. And then one day, uh, the counselor said, Kyle, I want you to come down to, to my office. And I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm down there. And she says, I think they're making a mistake. Um, and I said, well, you know, I think so, too. Not much I can do about it. And But she said... But she said, I want you to write a letter 
to Ohio State and, and, and explain as to why you think you will make an impact and make a difference here and, and why uh, they should invest in you. And so I did. And, and a week later, get a letter from President Gordon Gee, and I was accepted into Ohio State. And the rest is history. And so it was at that time that I realized that had I not had somebody who was able to invest in me and see that in me, the potential, I would not have been here. And it was, you know, my parents, my, my, uh, my, my teachers, the counselors, same resources that not a lot of people are able to get, especially if, if your parents have to work two or three jobs or if folks are, are uh, having to focus on other issues and are still dedicated to their children's education, but have to make ends meet at the same time. And so all these constraints, these push and pulls, and then ultimately one of, one of the biggest factors has always served as role model to me was, was my, is my brother, who uh, is, is four and a half years older than me. And so he was always a guy that I got, had to look up to and continue to look up to. Uh, but that's kind of my story of, of how I got to where I am is people who love me and invested in me and who cared about my success. And one of the things that you uh, stated you know, a few times was the, uh, the keyword investment. And I just want to unpack that a little bit right uh, for a second. Um, you, like I said, you had a lot of mentors, you know, not only, you know, your family, you had, you know, educators, your brother that's helped you along the way. At the same time, you know, there's also an investment, you know, that you made for your own self as well. Um, to, you know, um, seek out a law, you know, a law degree from, you know, Harvard, which is, you know, the number one um, uh, school in, in the nation. So can you like, expand on, you know, your preparation, you know, for, you know, that the law school and the bar exam? Um, because, you know, one of the things that, you know, I really believe in, um, and one of my favorite quotes is, you know, failing to plan, you know, you're setting yourself up, you know, um, then you're planning to fail. So uh, can you just, you know, touch on that as well? I mean, like I said, there, there's definitely an investment, you know, from others that have helped you, but there's something, you know, internally too, I believe, you know, that has, you know, helped you along the way as well. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, when other people invest in you, uh, it becomes easier to invest in yourself and to see the potential that you might have. And while I wasn't always clear on what my potential would be, I was always focused on the impact I wanted to make. Um, and the people around me were invested in, in me, not just for my own personal success, but for uh, their care of, of me and my community. And for me, especially kind of seeing the struggles that uh, my mom faced when, when I was growing up, my brother and I were growing up. So, you know, when my parents were divorced, we lived primarily with, with my mom and just to kind of see some of the struggles that she was having to, to make some of these uh, ends meet. I didn't really fully understand at the time about how much she was going through. But what I recognized was that she was helping me a lot. And there was always something intrinsically about like, well, I want to help her and I want to help my family and I want to help my community. And as a result, uh, it was all about, well, I need to get good grades. Uh, I need I need to do well in school and I need I need to, to make them proud and really this ties so much into even broader family legacy. I mean my my grandfather, um, his story, 
I learned a lot about even later in life, but about all of the things that he went through growing up in, in central Ohio and in, in Delaware, Ohio, where he was denied loans uh, to even get a home uh, because of things like redlining and all the discriminatory policies that we hear about that, mm-hmm. uh, that I do talks about. Uh, but these aren't just things in the abstract. These are real things that happened uh, to him and our family. And yet, he was able to rally with his community to be able to invest uh, in his family, but also to invest in future generations and lay that foundation. And so it was to see all these different people who cared about me and my community that taught me maybe, maybe I should also care too. And, and I also was able to have a, a childhood that uh, was, you know, was relatively safe. It was a relatively safe uh, childhood where, you know, I went through um, trials and tribulation and all those things, but um, comparatively, I, I had a, a pretty good childhood. And so, as a result, I, I wanted to focus in on what can I do best. And I was never a uh, check every box type of person to plan things, but I did have dreams. I did have goals. And uh, ultimately, when I started going to high school, I was thinking, well, maybe I want to go to college. Maybe I want to go to Ohio State. Um, and then maybe even law school. And, and maybe, you know, I'm not sure what that looks like, but maybe these are the things I wanted to do. And I started to kind of think about it. And, and, and step by step by step, you start to get there. And so I am a, a huge proponent of, of people making goals and investing in themselves and believing in themselves. Um, that's critical. And, and you, you know, what I think is very interesting about what you're, what you've discussed and kind of your pathway to where you are now is at these key areas, um, you learned about self-advocacy and personal development and understanding your history so that it informs your future, all these kind of things that we hear about um, that um, unfortunately a lot of uh, our young people in, in, you know, when we talk about people, you know, you know, just in general, our young people are not, um, don't have access to or is not, there are not people there that are putting that investment in. Um, and, and, and it's even more challenging now, right, that we've gotten into this uh, unique situation of COVID-19, right, where now where you had, it was, it was, it was challenging to do a while while students are right there in front of you. Now they're not even in front of you. And, and so there's, um, you know, there's a separation and there's less personalization of, of, um, of that educational experience. And, um, and then on top of that, right, you have um, what we've heard a lot about in terms of how COVID-19, both economically, educationally, and health-wise has disproportionately impacted the, um, you know, people of color and underserved communities and so on and so forth. You currently, uh, along with your work with the Curry Institute, uh, serve as the director of My Brother's Keeper Ohio, which is the alliance of all the, the My Brother's Keeper initiatives that are going on within the state. Um, I think you're kind of uniquely positioned to talk about um, that from the perspective of, you know, 
what is that, what are your thoughts on all of this uh, in relation to its disproportionate impact in, in the, particularly in those key areas of uh, healthcare, education, um, and, and economics? That's a great question. So there's a couple of things. So one, the moment we're in, as, as you mentioned, highlights um, just how uh, broken the system has been and how little of a foundation we've had for people. And so for me, one of the biggest things that I, I continue to stress is that while things like personal development and uh, skills-based learning and all these things that focus on personal responsibility, well, so while those things are important, there tends to be less of an emphasis on the structures and the systems that are in place to even make those things possible in the first place. And so, especially when we think about things like COVID-19 mm -hmm. that has completely ripped through entire communities, but is also highlighting and exacerbating underlying disparities. So mm -hmm. if I'm trying to learn and, and get an education, but I've got to do that online, but I don't have access to internet, how am I going to be able to do that? If I'm trying to get access uh, to treatment and to testing, uh, but I haven't been served in my community, how am I going to do that? And so it's all of this, these factors highlight all of the underlying factors that, that we have seen over generations that have disinvested in black and brown communities and other marginalized communities. And it highlights just how important it is for us to not just focus on policies uh, that, that improve personal development, but also uh, structural changes. But what I will say is that the personal connection piece is key. And it is something that uh, fills in the gaps of all of the, the disparities that we see and the challenges that we face. I mean, with, with, without having uh, mentors, without having uh, caring people in your community, without having people who who can talk about these issues with one another, then people will continue to fall through the gaps. And at the end of the day, no matter how great the systems are, mm -hmm. people will still be missed. And it's going to be up to us as individuals and as communities to say that we, we're gonna do as much as we can to invest in you and provide you the support structures as possible. And for where those hard to reach uh, communities are, we are gonna come in there. And, and the reason why that's important is because we always try to often come up with these silver bullet solutions to our problems and, and think that, you know, our big plan is going to work here and it's going to work here and it's going to be a five point plan and we're going to implement that. And when we know that uh, traditionally, a lot of those traditional options don't reach our communities. And so what we need to do then is uh, a both and strategy. You know, how do you invest in the structures, but also how do you provide people with the resources and opportunities to invest and reach uh, our community. And one of the biggest pieces there is, is thinking about the intersection of all these issues. We're not just talking about an economic issue. We're also talking about an educational access issue. We're also talking about health uh, and access to healthcare, um, but also things like mental health and dealing with the trauma mm. uh, of everything, not only the trauma of the day-to-day -day experiences that people might be going through, but also the trauma uh, that has um, impacted and harmed so many communities. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it ties into the moment we're in around COVID-19 and the reckoning with racial justice. Mm-hmm. The facts are that uh, too many of us have been sold a bill of goods that uh, the American dream is something that you just have to work hard and, and you'll make it. And so as a result, you have people who work two, three jobs and still can't make ends meet. And mm-hmm. instead, society turns on them and says, that's your fault. The reason you're not making it is because of your fault. It's something you did or it's something that you have a deficit on at a personal level or a cultural level, whatever it means, it's your fault. And instead, what we need to do is change the narrative and flip it on its head to say it is the fault of the lack of policies that invested in my community. And not only the policies that that didn't invest in my community, but also the policies and the practices that harmed my community and continues to harm my community. We have we do not have an even level playing field in this community. So the work around my brother's keeper is to say we are going to invest in our young people, but we're also mm. going to address the structures that exploit from communities, and it requires us coming together. It's hard to do that uh, in a pandemic, uh, but we're trying to do what we can virtually, um, and then also meet people where they're at um, at a distance. Can you give our listeners, you know, just an overview of uh, My Brother's Keeper initiative, uh, some different partners you guys are working with, and how um, you guys are uh, working, you know, in the Columbus community to uh, further uh, that initiative along as well, too? Of course. So the My Brother's Keeper initiative was started in 2014 uh, by President Obama. Uh, It was kind of in response uh, to uh, the aftermath of the killing of of Trayvon Martin um, and really uh, the conversation about uh, the fact that we continue to see these persistent challenges um, and disparities uh, that our boys and young men of color face um, and the need for us to uh, not normalize that because the facts mm-hmm. are that um, in every major category that measures success, um, we are underrepresented. But in every major category that measures failure, we are overrepresented. And the idea around My Brother's Keeper is to provide a support system. I am My Brother's Keeper, right? Um, To provide this support system uh, to ensure that we address the disparities and the barriers and that we don't see this as a problem of people need to fix themselves. This is a problem of we need to fix our policies. We need to fix our strategies to engaging uh, boys and young men of color. And so while the emphasis is on boys and young men of color because of these unique challenges, uh, there's also an intersectional lens uh, that recognizes that girls and young women, uh, as well as other youth of color and marginalized youth, uh, regardless of background, need those same types of investments. But we just need different strategies um, and different approaches in different cases uh, that are culturally competent, that are, uh, uh, that are uh, done in a way that Uh, has care and uh, focus to it. Mm -hmm. And so after that launched in 2014, uh, it basically was a call to action for mayors and communities across the country to sign up for that challenge, to say that we are going to come up with strategies and solutions from cradle to career uh, to help our boys and young men of color. Um, And we are going to do this in a way, not just through mentorship, but also through policy change. And so over 250 communities throughout the country accepted the challenge, uh, including the city of Columbus, including uh, many communities throughout the state of Ohio. And 
after the my brother or after President Obama left the White House and moved in uh, to the the broader the Obama Foundation, there was a question about what the next phase of the My Brother's Keeper Alliance at the national level would be. And really, mm-hmm. the focus was on strengthening the network and having a community of support system uh, to connect our young people uh, with community resources. And that's when, uh, through my work with Kerwin and through my work even locally here in Columbus, I got connected with uh, Senator Sherrod Brown's office, who had a conversation. Uh, Senator Brown had a conversation with President Obama about uh, really bolstering uh, the My Brother's Keeper work in Ohio. And ultimately, they came to us and said, uh, is this something that you think we could lead out of Ohio State as a coordinating body uh, to help coordinate all these local chapters and, and better streamline resources and communication? Um, and ultimately, in 2018, uh, we decided to launch My Brother's Keeper Ohio, which would connect the 12 existing My Brother's Keeper communities throughout the state from big towns like like Cleveland and Columbus, all the way to smaller ones like Springfield and Lima. Uh, All these communities that are dealing with a variety of different issues, all focused on goals of economic and educational opportunities, but also uh, mental health and mentorship supports. Um, And so that's the work that we've been doing. Most of my work is a coordinating role. So it's to make sure everybody's got uh, everything on the same page. It is to provide uh, AmeriCorps VISTA support. We've got uh, mm-hmm. Over 10 AmeriCorps VISTA members that are on the ground throughout the state that are uh, providing uh, support and project support. Uh, the city of Columbus is doing incredible work. It is housed within their Department of Neighborhoods. Uh, they have a, a lead, uh, uh, My Brother's Keeper lead, uh, Chris Soule, who's doing a tremendous job, uh, also under the leadership of, of Julia Carter and, and Director Carly Will- Williams Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have done a, an incredible job of connecting with our young people. Um, providing mini grants programs, the $100,000 mini grants program to uh, nonprofit organizations to get people connected. And one of the things, and, and Joel, we've had these conversations too about really trying to build out Ohio State's involvement more broadly with the My Brother's Keeper Initiative. That has been an ongoing project of mm-hmm. needing to do this work. I think the pandemic has disrupted everything, uh, but we're still trying to think through more ways in which to connect people. Uh, to resources and opportunities. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Digital From Day One podcast. Make sure to visit our website at go.osu.edu forward slash digital day one. That's the number one, where you can find out how to subscribe, more information about our guests, and more information about our team. As always, we love to know what you think. Use the feedback form on the website or shoot us an email at digitalfromday1 at osu.edu. The one is actually spelled out here. Or simply give us a rating on iTunes. And we'd appreciate if you tell a friend about our little show here too. There's more to come from our guests in this episode, so be on the lookout for that. I'm Joel Nelson, along with Brendan Dickerson, and let's continue to make the connections to Opportunity Stronger. Until next time, everybody.